you know, upfront before they start, you know, making offers is to do their due diligence, you know, beef up their team, make sure they, you know, that they have an attorney, that they're working with commercial real estate brokers with experience. And more importantly, establishing lending relationships and also relationships to be able to raise the capital that is needed for these deals. Welcome to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. Josh Cantwell. If you love entrepreneurship and investing in real estate, then you are in the right place. Josh is the CEO of Freeland Ventures Real Estate Private Equity and has personally invested in well over 500 properties all across the country. He's also made hundreds of private lender loans and owns over 1,000 units of apartments. Josh is an expert at raising private money for deals, and he prides himself on never having had a boss in his entire adult life. Josh and his team also mentor investors and entrepreneurs from all over the world. He doesn't dream about doing deals. He actually does them, and so do his listeners and students. Now sit back, listen, listen learn, learn, and accelerate your business, your life, and your investing with the Accelerated Investor Podcast. Hey, welcome back to Accelerated Investor. Thank you again for joining me. Uh, having a great time putting this podcast together for you and just getting tons of amazing feedback on social media and wherever your podcast you're consuming. Um, it's just been great. We've been getting people asking questions and leaving us ratings and reviews. We've had some amazing, amazing guests. Um, and today, I've got a good friend of mine who's been with me along this amazing journey of real estate for a long, long time. His name is, his name is David Strader. He's one of my attorneys. And uh, David and I grew up in this business together. Um, David's been my attorney for going on now 10 years. Um, and worked on everything from contractor agreements to joint venture agreements, wholesale deals, rehabs and rentals. And David and I have both over this last year or two have made the pivot from working a lot in residential, residential private lending, residential investing, residential attorney work um, into multifamily. So we're going to talk today with David about his journey as well as some do's and don'ts, some best practices and worst practices for multifamily investing. David, what is going on, friend? How are you? And hey, good Josh, to reconnect with you, you, man. Good to see you, buddy. You too. What is new in your world? What's uh, You're working a lot on multifamily deals, a lot of rental properties, small balance commercial. What's the latest in your world? You know, yeah, absolutely. It's been crazy. Usually the fourth quarter slows down for me a little bit, but it has just continued to grow. Um, you know, for the last two years, each quarter has gotten progressively a little bit better. Um, I'm spending most of my time, uh, you know, doing entity structuring for real estate investors to make sure that they have the proper LLCs or joint ventures or those type of uh, you know, entity structures. Um, and over the last year, as you know, uh, there's been a big boom in interest in the multifamily space. So I've been uh, fortunate enough to have several clients kind of jump into that space and I've gotten dragged into it. And we've had, uh, you know, quite a lot of uh, activity this year and been very busy. So I uh, have a lot of good stories related to those transactions, a lot of do's, a lot of don'ts and, you know, what to, what to avoid and how to plan your, to plan your deals. Awesome. Let's jump into it. I don't know. Do you, do you want to talk about the good or the bad first? Sometimes the bad's more fun. Sometimes the good is better news to start with. 
Um, and I know you've worked with a lot of, so we won't name any names because some of them are friends of yours. They're clients of yours, but they're also <laughs> friends of mine, guys that I know and guys we've lent yeah. money to, but um, let's, let's start with the good. So if, if somebody's getting going with, let's call it a small balance or a middle market multifamily practice, maybe pivoting from residential into multifamily, what are three or four things that they should do? What are some best practices to get their business set up? And then on a daily operational uh, level, what are some things that you see them, encourage them, kind of coach them on to have a, a good, clean practice? Sure. So I guess as a preface, a lot of uh, people that I've been working with are newer to this space, where maybe they, prior to investing in the multifamily, you know, arena, you know, they were either doing buying holds, you know, having, you know, a rental portfolio of anywhere from 10 to 100 units. Maybe they were just doing fix and flips, and they took that contracting experience that they got from there. Uh, to buy these distressed apartment buildings and, and employing it there. So one of the things that I see is that there's just, the tra- from a transactional standpoint in the big picture, doesn't matter if you're doing, you know, a single family flip or, you know, a renovation of a 50-unit building, the concept is the same. I, I always tell them a lot of times the biggest difference is the purchase price. There's usually another comma in there. Um, you know, in all of your agreements and the people that you're working with, that's usually multiplied. So it's just my, my clients that have done really well transitioning into this space have taken a lot of time to prepare to scale their business to handle that additional volume. Um, so I think one of the, you know, the biggest things a good do is, you know, upfront before they start, you know, making offers is to do their due diligence, you know, beef up their team, make sure they, you know, that they have an attorney, that they're working with commercial real estate brokers with experience, and more importantly, establishing lending relationships and also relationships to be able to raise the capital that is needed for these deals. So the guys that actually go out and network and build these teams first are able to, I find, able to hit the ground running when when they do find a good deal because it's pretty competitive out there. Um, As you know, you have to make a lot of offers, you know, to get one deal accepted. Right. And in this space, there's just not as many apartment buildings as single family houses. So, you know, you have less of a pool to draw from. Yeah, I love the fact that you started with building a team because really in commercial, because the deals are so much bigger, you know, you've got to you've got to kind of posture up and you got to show a seller or a commercial broker that you can close, that you know what you're doing. And a lot of times these deals are off market where they're double ending them, they're getting both sides of the commission. And so you've got to kind of show them and posture up to them that you have a team that you can handle these deals because they don't want to risk their commission with somebody who can't close. So it makes a lot of sense, right? Line yourself with a great commercial attorney, commercial brokers, lending team, and, you know, and, and capital private money that you can use for down payments because these big deals sometimes are so big, you know, you don't have an extra half a million, million, two million, three million, five million dollars laying around of your own money. These deals are done with joint venture partners and capital uh, investors, equity investors. So great way to get started building a team for sure. Um, what, what else do you th- see? Like once once the team is built, then what? What are some some common do's, best practices for making offers and you know r- then running the buildings? Right. So I think you'll, you're you're going to find as you kind of look back on this you know recording and that that a, a do has a converse don't. And a lot of times they go hand in hand. So I think that the step one is, is once you, you know, have your acquisition team in place and you're making offers and you get to the point where, you know, you maybe have a letter of intent accepted. Um, at this point, I think the, the best thing to do is to make sure that you have a very strong purchase agreement. Um, you know, 
you know, a good purchase agreement is going to identify the purchase price, the earnest money, you know, all, all the things that you're used to. It's going to identify a title company, have an accurate description of the property. A lot of times it's more than just one address, or it might be one address, address uh, attached to, you know, six or seven parcel numbers. So you want to be able to do some due diligence on that, make sure your purchase agreement accurately identifies it. And you also, in that initial purchase agreement, you want to have some language in there that gives you some flexibility, you know, that the final identification of the property is going to be subject to verification by the title company when they run the exam. Maybe they find an old parcel out there that wasn't, you know, merged in, but should be part of this. So you want that. And then that flows right into your due diligence or your, what you would see as an inspection clause and, in, you know, your regular purchase agreement in uh, the commercial space. Um, it's going to be a due diligence section because it's more than just the physical inspection of the property. It's also the inspection of the books and records related to the asset itself. Also, any contracts that are related. Um, you want to be able to make sure that the seller is going to make a fair and accurate disclosure of all the contracts out there, whether it's laundry room leases, maybe rooftop leases for a cell phone company. All these things encumber the property and can affect, affect the value and, more importantly, the cash flow of the asset itself. So, um, Another key component that I find uh, sometimes is a deal breaker. Uh, your purchase agreement should have a strong seller's representations and warranty section. Uh, I assume a lot of people listening to this may have been in the residential space before. That's going to be similar to like a residential property disclosure form where the seller discloses anything wrong with the property that he or she knows about. Well, the reps and warranties are very similar, but it's going to have a, a wider or broader scope because it goes beyond the condition, it might also go to, are there any pending lawsuits or liabilities that are out there? Are there any building violations or city violations uh, with regard to the asset? Are there any lead-based pain issues, environmental issues, things like that? So you wanna make sure that you know, your purchase agreement has strong seller representations and warranties when you're buying an asset, because this is gonna be your get out of jail free card if down the road um, you, know, you run into a problem. Nice. Yeah. Great description there. Love it. I mean, just the purchase price, obviously the earnest money, that's the easy stuff, right? But the language right. flexibility, the parcels, the due diligence, the reps and warranties are really, really, really important. Commercial deals are often like there was a, a property that we closed on last year and uh, we all thought it was 735 units. And it actually turned out it was 730 because a building burnt down like 30 years ago. <laughs> so that kind of stuff happens with commercial, right? You're talking about multiple right. buildings, multiple properties, potential multiple complexes, multiple addresses. Um, purchase agreements are really, really important. So obviously the don't on this side, right, is using some sort of in commercial it's very important to have a custom, essentially a custom purchase and sales agreement. So a don't here is what? Using a template agreement that's kind of just off the shelf? Absolutely. I mean, and I have a little story here of something that I just experienced, you know, the past week. Um, you know, I had someone get me into the game late. Literally, they were four days away from closing. And this buyer's lender had said, uh, hey, you need an attorney opinion letter on this. And he goes, well, what's that? He goes, well, who's your attorney? He says, well, I guess Streeter is. So he called me up and got me. <laughs> and, I, and I started digging this deal. And first thing I always look for, I said, give me the purchase agreement. It, keep in mind, this is a 68-unit, 1.85 million acquisition. Okay? Let's just right. frame it up that way. I get the purchase agreement. It's a two-and-a-half-page, fill-in-the-blank residential purchase agreement. 
Holy smokes. put together by a commercial real estate broker. So this broker obviously must have been his first deal. And then, you know, so there's the contract talks about nothing. It doesn't even have a default provision, doesn't have timelines in it. It just has a closing date, which we're well past already. Wow. And then the amendments that went to this were as equally garbage-like that is the original agreement. And we're, you know, guys in a little bit of a pickle now because the thing it's, was supposed to close this week and it's not going to. Um, but we don't have any fallback language to go on to into the agreement. I mean, both sides are at fault here. And uh, I just told him, hey, if you bow out of this, if this ends up in court, it's going to be a mess for, for everyone involved. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. don't use the two-page boilerplate. <clears throat> no purchase agreement right find a guy like david that can craft a uh you know a well-written fully income you know fully encompassing um you know custom purchase and sales agreement after you, you know loi that can be easy you know gen, you know kind of states the general terms purchase agreement earnest money general closing date some basic stuff like that but then you got to go custom from there. So, um, you, you know, you've worked with a lot of guys that have borrowed money from us. You've worked with a lot of people that we know in this space. So what, what are some other dues that you've seen guys that are successfully either pivoting out of residential or successfully working in the multifamily space? So you really have to understand the timelines in your contract because the earnest money, you know, is usually refundable for a period of time. But at some point in the process, it's going to go hard or become non-refundable. That means no matter what happens, you're losing this money. And time is of the essence. You know, one day can make a difference. So, and a lot of times the contracts are written where the dates are floating and you have extensions and earn additional earnest money might need to be deposited. But one of the things that once you have an executed purchase agreement, you need to sit down and kind of draft out a schedule or a timeline of when these drop dead dates are. Because if you miss it, even by a couple of hours, now, you might have a seller that says, you know, tough luck, uh, your $25,000, $50,000 earnest money is gone. So if you don't perform, you lose that regardless. Right. Uh, I've seen that become a big issue, people not understanding the timelines. So you want to make sure that you sketch that out. You put it into your calendar. You put it on, you know, your bathroom mirror whenever you have a deadline because those are important dates to remember. Yeah, I had a friend of mine a couple of years ago, it's going back at least 10 years ago, that was in resi, was doing short sales, wholesaling made an offer on his first commercial building, put $200,000 down of his own money and missed several deadlines, Got was granted several extensions, um, ultimately missed his final extension. The money went hard. He couldn't close and lost $200,000 of real cash of his right. own. Um, and it happens more often than I care to, care, you know, care to talk about. But My newest and most powerful real estate investing book, the Flip System is now available. And for a limited time, you can grab your free copy at getflipsystem.com forward slash podcast. Using the same proven principles, secrets, and investing strategies I'm sharing in this book, I've been able to personally close over 750 highly profitable real estate deals over the last 15 years, make over 400 private lender loans, raise over $30 million of private money, and acquire over 2,000 units of apartments. Get my newest book now for free for a limited time at getflipsystem.com slash podcast. That's getflipsystem.com slash podcast. 
So he lost his marriage over it. And, you know, it was a really tough situation. He was trying to do good by his family, trying to do the right thing, didn't really know what he was doing, missed his timelines, missed his deadlines, couldn't come up with the rest of the money, the equity to put down, ended up losing the property, losing 200000 and losing his wife. So that's, you know, worst case scenario probably for most people. Um, so right. scheduling the timeline is very, very important and getting ahead of that, right? Because commercial appraisals can take three weeks. Commercial inspections can take two or three weeks. These things are not easy when you're walking, you know, 20,000 square feet or 30,000 square feet of a building. Um, it's not easy for an inspector to just whip this thing up in five or six days. They've got to walk the building, going to be there for hours and hours, could have to go back several times, have to get in individual units, every single unit. It's just not something that you can get done when you're up against a timeline and just be like, hey, can you get this done in 24 to 48 hours? It just doesn't work that way. Um, So yeah, great advice there, making sure we have the timeline. Um, So from an operational perspective, you know, you've been able to see David, several guys, again, pivot into multifamily from residential and have success out of the gate, even though they maybe didn't have a lot of previous experience in multifamily. So the guys that you're working with, that you're an attorney for, you're, you're giving them some advice where they're successfully made the pivot. And maybe I bought a six unit or an eight unit or a 22 unit or a 25 unit or bigger. Um, what are they doing right? What do you see them doing when they actually own the building and now working with tenants like landlord tenant law, managing that building, managing the asset, making sure the tenants are comfortable and successfully repositioning the building to create equity? I mean, I see that as soon as they get into the asset, you know, they're starting to establish a relationship with the people on the ground there, whether it's an existing property management company, uh, maybe it's just, you know, someone who lives, you know, on site uh, that is, you know, a maintenance person. And then also the tenants themselves. I think that uh, you need to set the tone as a new owner by sending out a pretty thorough and strong welcome package that identifies, that not only identifies you as the new owner, you don't want to come across like saying, hey, there's a new sheriff in town and things are going to change. You want to come across saying, hey, we're a new owner. Usually these are distressed assets. So have an acknowledgement that, hey, we understand that work needs to be done here. We We intend to do this. We have the capital and the funding in place to do it. But in order for this to go well for everyone, we're going to need some cooperation here. And kind of set the tone that, hey, you're here to do the right thing. You're going to improve the place in which they live. You need them to help you. And through this process, you're going to identify the tenants that you know you may want to keep and also identify the tenants that need to go because that's going to be part of, you know, your process there because you want to get rid of, um, you know, bad tenants. Um, you're going to need vacancies if you're going to be doing complete unit turn and renovations anyhow, but it'll allow you to transition that so you don't get – you know, killed with, you know, a vacancy. You might have a few people there that are really good tenants. They want to stay and they can afford to stay. So maybe that you let them stay in during renovations. As you renovate, renovate some of the other vacant properties, when those are completed, then those good tenants, maybe you transition them into the renovated space, which then opens up. So then you can structure your renovation so you don't kill your cash flow from day one. Right. Right. So yeah, I'd like to do, which is send, you know, a thorough welcome package. That's like a welcoming, Hey, what was a new owner, but not the don't, which is don't take the posture of, Hey, this is my building. Everyone's going to comply with whatever I want. You have to remember many of these people have been there sometimes months, but sometimes years, many people, when they have an apartment, they're permanent apartment tenants, they're permanent multifamily tenants. They never move. Right. I've looked at buildings, made offers on buildings, People literally have tenants there that have been there 15 years, 25 years, 
and their rents haven't been bumped up. And from a financial perspective, you're thinking, hey, I'm the new owner. Your rent is three, $400 under market. You've got to move out. I've got to renovate your unit and bump it up. And you're thinking all about your cash flow, all about your deal, all about your cap rate, all about your equity. But that one person that's been there for 10 years is everybody in the building knows them, right? And everybody in the building cares for them. And if you muck up the relationship with that person, you could really have a lot of problems with everyone else. Right. Right. So those relationships are real. You have to be very, very, um, you know, kind of, kind of tap dance a little easy in the beginning and kind of figure out because we're all humans, right? We're all have relationships and there's going to be some people in that building that might have a little bit louder voice, a little bit more prickly than others, right? You got to definitely manage that. And so sending out a nice welcome packet that's more cooperational as opposed to the demanding ham, the new sheriff in town is a big, big deal. Right. And one more thing, uh, one more layer extension of that is not only establishing relationships with the people in the building, but then also maybe going to the local municipality's building department. Because if you're going to be doing, you know, renovations and improvements, you don't want the building department to be surprised by all of a sudden all this renovations going because then, then those inspectors are just going to be showing up unannounced. It's always a good idea to go introduce yourself as the new owner, tell them what your plans are, and you're going to find that they're going to then become your ally as you need certain permits pulled in that because if they understand that you really are serious about improving this property, investing the capital into it, and actually appreciating its value, um, you're going to find that they're they, – Believe it or not, a building department can become an ally if you set it up the right way. That's fantastic. Uh, David, so as we kind of round third and head for home here, um, are there any final kind of words of advice from you know either wearing your attorney hat or just because you've seen it before, you've seen other people do it before, either good or bad, as people build their portfolio, any other significant do's or don'ts that we haven't covered already? Well, I think one of the things that I see time and time again is that um, people who are coming into this space, they're not used to maybe the dollars involved. You're going to be spending much more on inspections, on due diligence, on environmental reports, on you know, lenders, financing fees, um, and also attorneys. The, the biggest mistake that I see, people get me involved right away. They do a good job of having me draft the purchase agreement. Then they get it executed. And they don't want to pay me anything more. And they, and it's not that they need to, but they feel like every time they call me, you know, it's going to ding this meter. And some attorneys are like that. So, but I'm not, and you know that, but Mm -hmm. the idea is, is that it just goes crickets and then they'll go through their due diligence and it'll be two, three months down the road. And then I get that call a week before closing and I have no idea what's transpired. So I think it's, it's really important to at least keep your attorney and your lender and all the members of your team just kind of updated as to the progress because a lot of times once that purchase agreement's you know completed i don't need to do anything during due diligence they're going to have their team set up to handle that i'm not a due diligence expert but i do want to know the progress of that you know if they're running into problems with due diligence and need to force an extension i need to be ahead of that with the other side's attorney in order to lay the groundwork or like we talked about earlier that earnest money could be gone you know, thin air. So you just need to keep everyone informed and really work together as a team. As an operator, this deal is a, you know, as the the investor putting it together as the operator, your number one job is to quarterback everything between the members of your team and to communicate that well. If you don't, you're going to find that there's going to be a lot of chaos and confusion 
you know, at the end when decisions need to be made quickly. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. Yeah, I think it goes right back to point number one that you made, which is now your team, right? You talked about building a team. And it's it's interesting that your last point here is basically communication with that team, right? Because you have, you know, could be contractors and subcontractors that are turning over units or making improvements to the interiors and the exteriors, the common spaces, landscaping, sidewalks, driveways. Um, you've got you know, maybe an asset manager that's helping you evaluate the books. You might have, if you have a large enough building, like some of the ones that we've closed on and own with our joint venture partners, you have a leasing office in the building. So you've got that person that's on site that's probably hearing from the tenants more often about what they need, what they want, what they're happy with, what they're not. Um, you've got your lender, you, you've got your you know, realtor, your commercial agent, you've got your attorney. Uh, you've got you know, potentially leasing agents, property managers. There's just there's a lot of people involved. That's why these bigger deals are more fun, right? There's more money in them for everyone. Right. Everyone can and make money. Forget, and don't forget, you have your capital investors, your partners in these deals. They want to be informed too. They want to know what you're doing with their money. They want to hear you know the success stories. And by sharing those with your investors, that's building confidence. That's going to have them be partners in future deals too. So don't forget those. No. No doubt. Yeah, we we have a, a very specific process we do for that, which is it's the third week of every month following the close of a quarter. So we close a quarter. Let's say it's October, November, December. By the third week of the following month, not only are the checks out to our capital investors for their return, their preferred return, their cash flow, whatever they're getting, but we also have some sort of live video or on-demand video of me and my partners and the operators who are just, you know, giving some commentary about the building. What have we done? How many units have we turned? What's this, you know, is it stabilized? Are we refinancing? Is there cash flow? Just what's going on? And again, good, bad, or ugly. Like these investors know that not every business deal is perfect. So if they get in, they made an investment, but you had some overruns in one area. They want to hear about it, right? They realize that not everybody bats a thousand. They they want to hear about well, what's the true story of what's going on. And remember, if you're not telling them the truth, then you could cross over that very fine line of fraud, right? So yeah. if you know something and you're not disclosing it, and people you're, people are investing or continue to invest because they think things are going well, and you're not telling them the whole truth, and you know information that you're withholding. That's the definition of fraud. So just be honest. People know that good. You know, there's good deals, there's bad deals. Hopefully, you have a reputation of doing a lot of amazing, great deals, and you'll do more and more and more. But people realize not everybody bats a thousand. Things are going to go wrong. Just be honest up front. Do the best job that you can. Um, right. David, I think the other thing too, like that you had mentioned, which is interesting, is like the fact that you want to stay involved, right? Because there's going to be things that close along the way. And especially if you're buying properties where they're off market, the the commercial realtor is a lot of times double ending the deal, meaning they're getting both the listing commission and the buying commission. Right. So your main advocate, if you're the buyer, 
the main advocate in this deal is your real estate attorney, right? They're the ones that are working through the purchase agreement with you, the law with you. So that re- that relationship is is hugely important because the listing agent may not be able to really just have your back because they're they're either representing both sides or they're really representing the seller and then also just getting that buyer agent commission and really don't have your best interest in mind, right? So you're really stepping in as the main advocate and giving advice to your client. Right. Big, big, big deal. Um, so David, listen, you've had a huge impact on my life over the last 10 years. Um, I just want to, again, tell you in front of our entire audience how much I appreciate you and how much I've really enjoyed our relationship. And to see you pivot into this space as we've gotten deeper and deeper and deeper into this uh, multifamily space has been interesting to see both of us. I'm, I'm excited to go to your holiday party coming up. I'm sure we'll have a good time at that. Um, yeah, that'll be fun. You bet. And David, so a lot of our uh, listeners probably want to reach out to you, especially if they have a deal in Ohio. David practices law, real estate law in Ohio. So if you've got a deal where you're buying a property in Ohio or you are an investor in Ohio, you should definitely connect with David, use him for legal services and advice for your deals, crafting agreements and purchase agreements. And he's been a tremendous help for me. So David, if somebody wanted to reach out to you and connect with you to get some help and advice and some legal counsel, where can they reach you at? Yeah, they can always reach me on my direct line, which is uh, 216-407-6644, or shoot me an email at dstreeter, so that's my first initial last name, street with an E-R, at Deemer Law, and that's D-E-M-E-R-L-A-W.com. Fantastic, guys. There you have it. If you've got a deal in Ohio, multifamily, or residential single family, and you need a good attorney, use my attorney, David Streeter. Reach out to him. David, thank you so much for jumping on, making some time for us today. Thanks for sharing your advice on best practices and do's and don'ts. All right. This was fantastic. Thank you. I'll see you later. You've been listening to Josh Cantwell and the Accelerated Investor Podcast. Leave a comment on our iTunes channel and let us know what you want to learn next or who you'd like Josh to interview. While you're there, give us a five-star rating and make sure to subscribe so you can be the first to hear new episodes. Follow Josh Cantwell and his companies, Strategic Real Estate Coach and Freeland Ventures on all social media platforms now and stay up to date on new training and investment opportunities. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of, apply for coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com. 